Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. On a dark, cold, wintry night, I like nothing more than encasing myself in the hide of a bear that I hunted using my uh, bear hands, and then starting a fire using all my enemies before drinking a hot cup of revenge. Uh, But obviously, that's a bit tricky for some of you to do, and I am all about universal ideas that work for everyone. So instead, uh, if you've got a cold bum and seek some comfort for yourself or loved ones with cold bums, then why not head to British-Boxers.com for their range of luxury casual wear, what is all made ethically and by properly paying people and doing all the stuff that I wouldn't even have to mention if the world was a better place and everywhere was run by nice types. But it's not, which is why I must seek revenge. Sorry, but... As it is, uh, British Boxers are a great company to support, not just because they're lovely people, but also because their jammies are well nice, as are their nightshirts, undergarmentals, and they've even got a section called Kids and Pets, which obviously sells clothes for kids and pets, not actual. sell kids and pets like that. I mean, we don't, don't worry. Luckily, by having ears of taste and listening to this podcast, you can get 15% off any purchases at British-Boxers.com by using the code PARPOLBRO15! So go do that right now. Or you could hunt a grizzly and destroy a cartel. But, I mean, to be honest, it is a lot of work. It's quite tiring. Ethically, very dubious. Maybe just buy some nice PJs instead. Hello and welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast, the comedy politics podcast that has also resigned from its position at number 10 this week. Uh, Not Downing Street, just the place down the road where they keep asking me to get out of their front garden. I'm Tiernan Duyet, but this week I'm yet again baffled why the government aren't tackling the rising energy costs properly, when, I mean especially, they're going to be the hardest hit on account of their constant and excessive gaslighting. British people are facing the biggest drop in living standards since records began, which I think was for the phonograph in 1931. As someone who spent most of the last two years in the same pair of stained tracksuit bottoms while living on a diet of mostly crisps and alcohol, I'm very worried as I honestly didn't think I could get much lower than that. Energy bills are going to rise substantially because, according to the Chancellor Rishi Sunak, a man who thinks compassion means to have sex with a laptop, Britain had a colder winter than usual. Which, I mean, it didn't. It was very, very mild. But let's be fair to him, it's probably hard to tell if you're cold-blooded. 
Sunak says the government can't artificially hold energy prices, which is possibly because they've already used up all the unnatural additives preserving the energy companies and banks. The problem is there's just too much global demand for energy right now, which I can 100% understand as I haven't had any in ages and even stronger coffee isn't helping. So what are we to do when it's a global issue and the UK privatised all of its energy ages ago so that all our gas costs more because it constantly has to travel to Europe and back, which, when you think about how much it costs for sausages to do that post-Brexit, no wonder it's pricey. Never fear, though, as the Chancellor has another tip-top plan to help. Like when he decided the best way to aid people struggling during a pandemic was to give them £10 off in restaurants so they'd be more likely to catch Covid and die and then he wouldn't have to hear them whining about having no support anymore. This time, though, and standing in front of a podium simply saying Downing Street, possibly to suggest that Sunak could one day be Prime Minister, or more likely to just remind everyone there that's still drunk from last night's party exactly where they are. The Chancellor announced that he has seen the country already full to the brim with people in fuel poverty are going to have an increase of £700 on their energy bills. And he said, and I mean, this is this is brilliant, this is, that he will make them have £200 and then they have to pay that back with interest at around 40 quid a month over five years. Ah, I mean, incredible. That's so helpful. You have to wonder if Rishi Sunak actually understands numbers and maths, or if, being unbelievably rich and married to a tax-dodging billionaire, maybe he's just never had to, so he just sort of makes them up as he goes along. I mean, perhaps when buying a pint of milk, which he almost certainly never does himself, as, hey, that's what underpaid house servants are for, he'll see that the milk is 60p, and he'll offer the supermarket 20 pounds fivesies on the condition that they pay him nifty pound sixties every month for 30 years. When interviewers ask him about policies, maybe what they should be checking is if the man in charge of the country's finances actually knows what money is, or if, from a life of privilege, he just assumes most things are paid for by someone else and has been found several times in car showrooms asking which ones he can get in exchange for a potato. £200 to help pay a £700 bill, and then you have to pay it back. I mean, that is the absolute opposite of helpful. It's like helping an old lady across the road by shouting hurry up at her and then demanding that she carry you back over as you've got places to be when she hadn't asked for your help in the first place. I'm sure we'll all just be able to tell Rishi that we don't want to pay it back and he's just going to have to write it off and shove it in a drawer with that £4.3 billion of fraudulent Covid claims that he can't be bothered to chase up. Or maybe alongside all the massive profits from companies like Shell and BP that Sunak doesn't want to tax in case it stops them investing in the UK because, hey, no one benefits the country quite like the companies causing the most pollution. I mean, think about it. Without them, global warming would slow down and the earth would get cooler. And can you imagine how much we'd have to have the heating on then, eh? Well, exactly. If anything, by letting people freeze to death while allowing Shell and BP to keep their massive profits, in years to come, those people that die will become fossilised and then the big companies can extract them to use as fuel, which will eventually lower costs if there's still a planet by that point. So look, all I'm saying is Sunak is looking out for our great-great-great-grandchildren. Sorry, I mean his, just his great-great-great-grandchildren and only his. Number 10 Downing Street seems to have found a novel way to keep their energy costs down, though. No, it's not making sure all the fridges for booze or hiding in are kept closed for longer. Instead, it's letting absolutely everyone resign so there'll be even fewer lights on or rooms that they need to heat. Not that it'd matter, as you'd pay for that anyway, but it's nice that they want to cut your costs like that. On Thursday last week, four senior parliamentary aides quit, followed by a fifth on Friday, mostly because, they say, the Prime Minister and derelict bungalow made of cheesecake, Boris Johnson, had announced there would be a shake-up of Downing Street staff. I mean, no wonder they went. The idea that that harried bundle of bullshit might grab you and give you a team-building ruffle is the worst thing I could possibly imagine. 
What he actually meant by shake up, though, although whoever really knows with Johnson, is that he was going to fire people anyway because of the culture of alcohol and parties they were associated with. You know, by being at number 10, where the Prime Minister keeps having alcohol and parties. I'm not entirely sure how getting rid of AIDS will help when there are supposedly pictures of the Prime Minister with a can of booze at his own birthday celebration, as taken by the official Downing Street photographer. As if Johnson heard about all the other evidence for his illegal parties and decided to literally hold its beer. Still, it is a relief to know that Johnson does actually drink beer, you know, like the people, rather than stand with all those poured pints in pictures just for profile and then pour them down the drain to drink from his hip flask of champagne, like I had assumed, and he almost definitely does. Maybe the idea is that if all the parliamentary aides are gone, Johnson would have to drag a suitcase to the co-op himself to fill it with booze, and like most of his plans, he'd be unlikely to actually go through with it because it's too much effort, and in that way it's kind of a very, very long-term cold turkey. One of the aides, now former policy chief Munira Mertzer, who's clearly the sort of person who thinks binging on the Waitrose Essentials range is slumming it, left because of Boris Johnson's false claims about leader of the opposition and man whose voice sounds like when there's a problem with the printer, Keir Starmer. Johnson had said during Prime Minister's questions that Starmer had failed to prosecute pedo Wraith, Jimmy Savile, when he was director of public prosecutions. Starmer, that is, not Jimmy Savile. Which isn't true anyway, as Keir Starmer was too busy at the time not prosecuting the Met police officers who killed John Charles de Menzies, and he can't have been doing two abuses of the justice system at once, can he? I mean, who's got the time? Johnson, however, has refused to retract this lie about Starmer, despite being too scared to say it outside of parliamentary privilege, where it'd be instantly libelous. But it is interesting, though, that Manira Mertz was so appalled by that bit of fibbery when, having worked for Johnson as London Mayor from 2008 to 2016 and then with him again as Prime Minister, she must hear that level of bullshit every five minutes. She's known for repeatedly saying that people are exaggerating the issue of racism and being pals with people who write for Spiked, a magazine that has some of the worst opinions about anything, usually written by 1200 head Brendan O'Neill, who's based his entire career on seeing what the most reasonable take on a situation might be, and then saying the exact opposite while shitting himself across a page. But this one particular lie by Johnson must have just conveniently pointed at exactly the same way as Manira Mertz's broken compass. Or maybe she thought it up in a brainstorm with Johnson about how to make her resignation look like it had any validity and that was the first thing they could come up with. And now she's out. Which is lucky, because if she'd held on till Sunday, she might have heard Business Secretary and Lewis in Spongebob, Quasi Quarteng, back the Prime Minister saying that crime has fallen by 14%, but only if you forget everyone was stuck indoors for most of last year, and if you totally discount fraud as a crime. Which is actually what Rishi Sunak likes to do. I'm sure Mertzer wouldn't have been as upset about that lie, because she clearly doesn't think of fraud as a crime either, which is why several PPE transactions involving her, the Home Secretary and former Health Secretary, were referred to the Serious Fraud Office last year. Maybe I'm being cynical though, and actually Mertzer and all the other aides just wanted a leaving party like everyone else they've heard about. Or, also possible, that they're actually so sick of all the endless parties at number 10, and the only way to leave them was to resign, because as we've already found out from this government, an Irish exit wouldn't be successful. The Prime Minister has already replaced all the parliamentary aides, with a speed that suggests he just went for whoever he'd last asked to run to the offie for him. The new Chief of Staff is the man who's impossible to picture, even when you're looking right at him, the absolute nothingness that is Stephen Barclay. Thing is, Stephen Bartley is an MP and the Chief of Staff is a full-time job and is usually given to a civil servant, but Johnson decided this time that a man who's well known for when he was Brexit Secretary voting against the agreement he'd backed just 20 minutes before, that this was the guy to do several jobs really badly all at once. The new Director of Comms is Guto Harry, who looks like an even more predatory Louis C.K. and is headed to number 10 not long after resigning from GB News, the channel that seems to exist as a news station, like how you might put a wheelie bin in a car park space to say that it's taken as there's definitely something there. 
Harry has worked for Johnson before when he was London mayor, and while knowing he's the sort of person that would make the same mistake twice definitely rings many alarm bells, Harry has been a very vocal critic of the Prime Minister in recent times, calling him hugely divisive and sexually incontinent. Which is exactly the sort of thing a Remainer like Harry would say, isn't it? As any real Brexit believer would know that Boris Johnson is sexually outcontinent. Days after his appointment, the new director of comms stated that Boris Johnson is not a complete clown, so it's good to know he fits into government by having ideas of what good PR is, much like Sunak's ideas of how to really help the public. I mean, Guto Harry is of course right. Johnson is not a complete clown, as clowns have had years and years of training in order to be open-minded, creative, honest and self-deprecating, whereas the Prime Minister just has hair that looks like a shit wig. According to Guto Harry, when he asked Johnson if he was going to survive, the Prime Minister sang Gloria Gaynor's hit, I Will Survive, right at him. Not a great choice for someone you've just recruited when it includes the lyrics, Go, Walk Out the Door. But yes, as predicted, it doesn't seem like the Prime Minister plans to go anywhere, reportedly saying it'd take an army of tanks to get him out of Downing Street. And I'm guessing he means nitrous oxide ones, as we all know he's going to head to wherever the party's at. In the same interview as his criminally wrong stats, Quasi Kwarteng said in regards to Boris Johnson staying as Prime Minister that we just needed to give him time and space to deliver. What? All of time and space? We've got to give that to him? Fucking hell. Is he now following the Thanos playbook, which I suppose would be in line with his absolute disregard for trying to kill off half the population? 100 MPs are apparently ready to vote against Johnson in a no-confidence vote, which just leaves the other 260 Conservative MPs who'll probably keep him in place, because they're fucked if they've got any better ideas. Not that many Tory MPs are being public about their support for the Prime Minister though, aside from the Business Secretary and of course the Culture Secretary and artist's impression of a never-ending car crash, Nadine Dorries, who's appeared on TV several times this past week, making viewers ever please smell a vision never took off, or they'd be pissed from the booze fumes emanating from their screen. In a truly weird BBC Breakfast interview, Dorries refused to say how much she communicates with Boris Johnson, which many took to mean that she might be another on his long list of paramours, the very notion of those two bumping uglies like a shambolic scarecrow sumo match being enough to increase NHS hospital admittance tenfold. I wondered, though, if it was actually more that it's just hard for her to put into words how much she communicates with Johnson, especially for Dorries who's only able to construct sentences if they contain aggressive trolling or shit romance novel exposition. But what I mean is, you know how certain creatures have ways of communicating between each other that we can't ever understand? There's a chance that Dorries and Johnson, two unbelievably awful people with that similar straw on top of an old yoghurt appearance, may well have some sort of special psychic moron way of talking to each other through seemingly nonsensical bumblings. How to convey something like that to a mere BBC interviewer and one who is definitely sober at that? It's impossible. The health secretary and wow, Ang from Avatar The Last Airbender is unwell, Sajid Javid, backed the Prime Minister in between insisting the plan to clear the NHS backlog isn't delayed due to the Treasury having issues with funding it. Yeah, yeah, I bet Rishi Sunak wants to tell people that he'll give them an aspirin towards their missed appointments, but they'll have to pay for his private health care for the next five years. The plan has been delayed again because, Javid said, of chaos caused by Omicron. Oh, I see, Javid. Have you and your staff not learned to live with it yet, then? Excuses, excuses. Javid says the backlog will get worse with the NHS and then it will get better, which is probably because people who are really in need of care and appointments can't get seen and will die off and free up the spots. The Health Secretary supported Johnson, though, and said that despite the challenges, the Prime Minister is delivering. Is he? What is he delivering? I'm not sure any of us ordered that. Are you sure that you have the right address? Javid also defended Johnson's wife and woman with default something stuck in your back teeth face, Carrie Johnson, after claims were made that she influences her husband's decision making. Yeah, but I mean, can't anyone do that? Isn't he just influenced by whoever he's last in the room with? I mean, I'm pretty sure that Boris Johnson would have his mind changed by a Downing Street cleaner if he was able to see them as human beings. 
According to Carry defenders and Javid, attacks on her are off limits as she's a private individual who plays no role in government. Cool, but then how come she was seen drinking at all those work events then? There will apparently be further changes to Johnson's Downing Street team this week, so we can fully expect Stephen Bartley to be given six more jobs that Johnson has no understanding of, while several other aides who previously had zero problem with the government revelling in corruption and populism will now resign because Johnson said he didn't like a brand of biscuit or something or used a racial slur that was from after the 1800s, so it's actually offensive. Meanwhile, as that dance continues and Johnson stays at number 10 because he's clearly always the last one to leave, the rest of us are going to be paying for energy while the government wastes all theirs. If only there was a way to store and use all their releases of daily hot air. But I suppose the issue would be that some of it, due to alcohol content, would be far too flammable for safe use. In other news, Stretch Chipmunk and DUP politician Paul Givan resigned as First Minister of Northern Ireland last week as part of protests against the Northern Ireland Protocol. Because hey, there's no better protest against the Irish sea border, quite like removing yourself from having any sort of position to be able to do anything about it. The DUP are angry that the protocol impacts the Belfast Agreement without cross-community support for those changes. But given resigning means Westminster are likely to vote through the Northern Ireland Minister's Elections and Petitions of Concern Bill, which will also make changes to the Belfast Agreement without cross-community support. And apparently, that's fine. God, it's exhausting, isn't it? The protest started last Wednesday when Northern Ireland Agriculture Minister and name most descriptive about the things he says, Edwin Poots, ordered the suspension of checks on goods between Britain and Northern Ireland based on legal advice he'd received, probably from someone in a pub or on the internet who'd done their own research by reading webcomics or toilet graffiti. Northern Ireland Secretary and the one who always looks like she spends her evenings practising spells, Theresa Villiers, suggested that this action will apparently tell Europe that the protocol is undermining political stability in Northern Ireland. Yeah, it's definitely the protocol that did that, isn't it? And not escapee from a Hall of Mirrors poots doing his own thing and the DUP deciding that's better than actual policy. You'd think the DUP would be almost appreciative that the protocol has united Northern Irish politicians in having something else to blame for once. Housing Secretary and face that could hide forever in a butcher's window, Michael Gove, released the levelling up white paper last Wednesday, only for it to emerge that large parts of it that are bizarrely about the history of, of Constantinople and Jericho had just been copied off Wikipedia. Though judging by the Prime Minister and many of the government's understanding of history, that is likely to be a far more reliable source than any of Gove's colleagues. If copy and pasting is the levelling up the government are really aiming for, then I suggest we all get editing Wikipedia ASAP so it actually contains policies we like. And lastly, the Prime Minister has criticised comedian and possessed vent doll Jimmy Carr for his really grim joke about the Gypsy and Romany victims of the Holocaust on his Netflix special. Boris Johnson said it's unacceptable to make light of genocide. Especially, I assume, because that's his remit and he doesn't want that sort of competition now that his job's on the line. I mean, if Carr keeps this sort of thing up, how will Johnson get away with doing jokes about the Libyan city of Sirta becoming the next Dubai if they just clear the dead bodies away, like he did when he was Foreign Secretary? Let's hope that Carr doesn't talk about letting the bodies pile high in his next show or Johnson's tour is going to be totally screwed and Carr will be leader of the Conservatives in no time. Javid, Dorries and other MPs have all criticised Carr's joke too, but at the same time are forcing through the policing bill that that basically criminalises the already marginalised Gypsy and Romany people if they stop in places not designated for them, even though there aren't any places designated for them. Still, I suppose if travelling communities are forced by fascist measures to stay in one place, at least that'll make it easier for Jimmy Carr to do a gig just for them and see how well it goes down. And just as I started recording this, two anti-vax protesters have been arrested for surrounding Keir Starmer after he left Parliament, shouting traitor at him and asking if he liked working for the New World Order. No, you idiot. It's pronounced New Labour. Do your own research. 
Boris Johnson took to Twitter to condemn the absolute disgraceful behaviour directed at the leader of the opposition. And again, he must just feel like his brand image is really a threat now. Next thing you know, someone's going to be having more parties and kids than him, and he'll have absolutely nothing left and have to change his name. And have to reinvent himself as a life guru or something. I mean, that Jimmy Carr joke is fucking horrendous, isn't it? I don't, I, I don't like the idea of censoring comedy even when it's fucking horrible because, you know, I just I think the idea with comedy you can delve into whatever you like and the idea, you know, it's a joke. But, I mean, as a joke, it's not, you know, a fucking well-set-up gag. It's just laughing at the fact people were killed in a genocide. It's really horrible. Apparently, Jimmy Carr's made some big statement about how he's going to go down swinging, which won't be great news to his wife unless she's into that too. Um, and he said all about how all the gags, he says, will be cancelled in 10 years and it's good to make light of serious issues. I mean, yeah, of course it is. That's what I hope I do on this show. But I guess we all have different ideas of what making light means. I mean, for me, it's criticising those in power. But for him, it's laughing about how a group that is already totally disempowered um, from society uh, were killed by Nazis, um, almost entirely wiped out. So, it's horrible. Um, I don't. I don't entirely blame Jimmy. No, I know it's a weird thing to say, uh, but he's been saying really horrific gags for years and years and years. He's always been completely morally devoid, um, and he's kept being given contracts on TV uh, and, and radio. And um, he made a joke about gypsy women smelling bad in 2006 on Radio 4's Loose Ends. Still got booked after that. Um, last time I saw him live, he did jokes about date rape that maybe do the sort of stare you might do if you saw a kid eating something from a bin. Um, his his joke style's always been really blunt, really horrible jokes that have absolutely no context around them, so can't even be justified by seeing the full set or whatever and pretending there's some other angle to it. They're just always really horrible, horrible jokes. Um, unfortunately, people go see it. Somebody edited that show, somebody commissioned it, somebody put it on Netflix, and they're to blame too. Um, you know, I always sort of feel like our biggest judges are our audiences, and if audiences are still laughing at that joke, there are big issues within society um, too. Uh, I, I, it's weird, I always feel like some sort of traitor discussing another comedian's conduct, but holy shit, like Jimmy Carr complaining that in 10 years none of these jokes will be acceptable. That's such a weird thing to be sad about. I mean, no. Of course they won't. Time moves on. People, and some of them aren't acceptable now. I mean, people progress and understand and change. There's loads of my jokes from 10 years ago that are fucking awful. There's definitely things I said, uh, even in like a, a show I did in 2010, 2008, that I definitely wouldn't ever say now. Luckily, I'm not famous. No one's ever going to see or hear them again. They were fine when I told them. Uh, I mean, they probably weren't. But then I, I learned and time changed. Now I'm never going to say them again. And that is great. Also, audiences stop liking that sort of thing. Audiences changed. My audiences, maybe not Jimmy Carr's. Um, and I mean, also, a lot of them aren't getting said again because they were really shit. And I write better jokes. Now. I'm not going to pull a Victoria Corrin and say Jimmy's a lovely man. Uh, I, I should. I feel like, you know, it's all cards on the table. He was once very nice uh, to me backstage at the comedy store when I was, I was absolutely bricking it about doing that gig. And he was really lovely to me. And I'll never forget that. Um, and of course, I know many acts that know him well and, and, and work with him. But I mean, if you say a joke like that, which, and, and look, I think it's quite an open secret that Jimmy's got a lot of writers. He doesn't really write those jokes himself. He writes some of them. Um, but, you know, he, uh, if it's saying a joke like that means you either sort of believe it, uh, which means he's massively racist or he's saying it anyway um, which I suppose it still makes him a racist and is enabling racism it's not really just a joke if you've got a platform of millions is it you can't just go it's just a joke when that many oh, I don't know it's fucking horrible yeah I hate this shit similarly I should say Joe Rogan isn't just a comedian when he's doing serious interviews not doing any jokes in it and just giving a platform to racist views that's not really then a comedy podcast is it 
I just don't know why anyone... This is the other thing, is as comedians, we keep seeing this thing about a comedian's job is to push boundaries. No, is it to make people fucking laugh? I think um, Mark Maron put a lovely thing about just making you laugh. That's our whole joke. We just act like dickheads. I don't know why anyone takes anything we do seriously. Um, I mean, clearly we've all got something wrong with us that we chose this as a career in the first place. It's also really interesting, I don't know if you remember, but Jimmy Carr was the one um, some years ago that was brought up to condemn tax avoidance when he did it. And he did do it, but um, I think he did it on a much lower level than David Cameron and his buddies were also doing it at the same time, and indeed Gary Barlow. Um, and now Jimmy Carr's the one doing unacceptable jokes while we've got a Prime Minister who does those a lot of times and is even worse at it. Um, I just sort of wonder, maybe Jimmy Carr's got a secret contract with the Tories to be their fall guy, to be the person that everyone fucking hates instead of them. He's always been very business like that. I wouldn't put it past him. I did some gigs in the Austrian Alps a few years ago and he headlined one of the bigger gigs uh, that I wasn't on at. I just went to see. And um, he flew in to headline the show to, to Austria and then finished the show and immediately went straight back to the airport to fly back to the straight to the UK to do a corporate gig after which is like fucking weird isn't it I mean sure pay and work but damn that is soulless I mean that's yeah Uh, the idea of not even wanting to stay for a beer or a fondue in a location like that because there's just more work and it's work and money and work and money and I mean he did used to work for Shell before he was a comedian doesn't that Oh, anyway, I didn't want to talk about any of that. I don't know why I felt like I should bring it up. I hate comedian discourse. How are you? Good. I'm very glad. Um, you're here. I'm here. There's no interview this week, so I've cocked that up again. So it's another brief one, um, which isn't that brief because I've been going on about Jimmy Carr for ages. Um, thanks tons this week to Caroline for the Kofi donation and to Jason for joining the Patreon. And of course, both of those options to you um, if you feel that I deserve some money for uh, basically saying exactly the same shit uh, about online outrage topics that other people are saying, only they do it with more clarity and wisdom. Uh, Kofi for the one-off coffee hits that I so desperately need in my life. Patreon, if you want to regularly help my desperate need for Instagram gratification um all are much appreciated and not only help me justify taking time to make this but also stop me having to do big tours instead where i say horrific jokes about historical crimes that isn't that isn't true it's also because i wouldn't be able to sell the seats Ah, um, and you know, review the show, tell peeps, gibbity, dibbity, blah. Um, and I should just, while we're talking about this, plug once again, uh, you probably all listen to it anyway, Mark Maron's WTF podcast, who was one from 11th of November last year, um, with Cliff Nesteroff, who's like a comedy historian, um, talking all about all the comedians throughout time that said, you can't say anything anymore, it's being cancelled, and basically how all their jokes kind of enabled racism, um, and, and uh, jokes changing as a sign of progress. That's a definite worth uh, a listen. And I haven't heard it yet, but uh, apparently the, um, Trojan Horse podcast by the Serial Team is fascinating and massively um, points out that Michael Gove is an Islamophobe just in case you needed more proof uh, of that if you hadn't had enough over the last 10 years so I'm hoping to get time to listen to that this week because it sounds brilliant um, that's kind of it for this week's show apart from uh, a bit that I've done about gas you're welcome if you're looking for plump lips that last you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. One tip I have uh, if you're struggling to pay your energy bills um, is to uh, not pay them. And then what happens is they send you a letter uh, saying that you need to pay your bills and then you still don't pay. And then they send you another letter saying you need to pay your bills and then what you do is you still don't pay. And anyway, you keep this up until you have enough letters with which to make a lovely fire. And then you don't need their stinky energy anyway. Take that, Martin Lewis. I am currently awaiting an energy bill from our provider. I always think that's such a shitty way to describe people who make you pay to stay warm from our enablers. Um, but yes, um, I am bricking it harder than the Lego factory uh, as to what it's going to be. Um, as you probably know, if you're someone who uses electricity or gas and isn't one of those people on amazing spaces that have used up 20 years of savings to buy a self-sustainable house out of cow poo, then you'll probably have heard that electricity and gas prices are jumping up a whacking 54% from April, which means everyone is going to have to pay £700 or so more per year than they already do. Already 13% of people in England, 25% in Scotland, 12% in Wales and 18% in Northern Ireland are in fuel poverty. Um, and that is basically the same as poverty, but when they pretend that because you can't pay your heating bills, you're basically rich in every other way. Sure, it's freezing in here, but that's how I like having my banquet in my mansion and I wouldn't have it any other way. And also, those figures are quite different across the United Kingdom, but that's because each and every area describes fuel poverty in a different way. And I'm almost certain in England, thanks to our government, that fuel poverty is only if you haven't ever heard the word fuel or never walked past a petrol station. So there's going to be a ton of people in trouble and freezing come next winter. Perhaps the cold-hearted government are just trying to make people more like them. Is that it? Prices have spiked because, well, demand has increased, particularly in Asia for liquefied natural gas supplies, but also due to there being very little wind in the summer, apart from round mine after those Jerusalem artichokes. That means wind energy has been hard to generate. Again, apart from round mine after those Jerusalem... Yeah, you get it. And then a cold winter in Europe reduced the amount of gas stored. They should really try Jerusalem artichokes. I became a human balloon after just one. No wonder they are known as fartichokes. I mean, seriously. The increase in demand meant that because the market loves money and hates people, prices... And that affects us here in particular because we use gas loads of gas for heating and to generate electricity. We are always having a gas in the UK, just not in any kind of actually fun way. 
The energy price cap meant companies couldn't charge customers more than a certain amount, but with price rises, that just killed off a ton of smaller companies like Bulb that didn't have any bright ideas of how to survive it, or People's Energy, which really did sound like it was generated by a bunch of people on giant hamster wheels. That meant that they had to raise the price cap. And energy companies can now charge you for the way in which you, yes you, clearly, personally had an effect on energy supplies during the pandemic. Just like when you, yes you, caused that global financial crash in 2008 with just your credit card debt. Honestly, stop it, yeah? You're really messing things up for the rest of us. According to Rishi Sunak, rising energy prices are something we're going to have to get used to. Just like, you know, we're learning to live with Covid, which makes you wonder if the virus is insistent on having the heating on. And his promise to take the sting out of energy prices is to give you a one-off payment of not enough money to cope with the heating bills and then make you pay it back while still suffering further heating bills. It's a bit like helping you deal with a stab wound by giving you half a bandage and then insisting you repay Sunak in regular blood donations. You can't say no to the £200 energy bill loan if you're going to receive it, and then you're going to have to pay back £367 over several years. So it's not really a loan, it's more a tax or a levy to add to the rise in national insurance, rising council tax, cuts to universal credit and wages stagnating as the cost of living rises. But just remember, the government aren't raising taxes, they're just paying off all the debt from the poor decisions they made that you had nothing to do with. Still though, at least you'll be able to temporarily use that 200 quid to not do anything you want to with it. It'll dent your heating bills in the same way if a lorry's about to plough you down on the road, kicking it as it does is definitely going to help you out. According to the Chancellor, it is impossible to artificially hold down energy prices, which is interesting because Shell, you know that big oil company so-called because if you put your ear to one of their board meetings you can hear the sea dying, they announced last week that their profits increased 14-fold, which is like a really complex origami. They've gained $20 billion in profits and they're giving shareholders $8.5 billion in share buybacks. But Sunak is refusing to put a windfall tax on companies that are profiting off people choosing whether to starve to death or freeze to death while they kill the planet because the Chancellor said that may deter investment. Ah yeah, it might put Shell off sponsoring the Science Museum so they don't display info about climate change so that kids don't see it and realise that Shell is ruining the very world they live on. I mean, that'd be just terrible, we can't have that. You might have seen that France are forcing their state-owned energy company EDF to limit price hikes to no more than 4%, which is something they can do because EDF is, as I've, I've just said, why aren't you listening, state-owned. Norway is subsidising energy bills, the Netherlands has cut energy taxes for 8 million households, Italy have put nearly 10 billion euros since July in curbing prices, and us idiots are just going to go bankrupt staying warm, while in September to November last year we exported over 30,000 giga-what-hours, giga-these-hours of gas through a big old pipeline to Europe. That's because way back in 1986, woman with a dead pheasant for her head, Margaret Thatcher, introduced the Gas Act, which led to the privatising of the market, and now companies take the gas from British land and rocks, pipe it elsewhere, and then we pay them to pipe it back to pay for bills. Totally makes sense, right? It's a bit like if someone nicks your bike and then you see it on eBay and you have to PayPal them to get it again, only now it costs more than when you bought it. And the person nicking it was allowed to do that because the government said it was fine. More fracking, drilling, or however else you get gas. Beans, right? Yes, I made the same joke again because it's never not funny. Fact. Anyway, none of that is going to make much difference to prices as it just gets sold abroad anyway because of our privatised energy services. Green renewable energy might make a difference if we didn't all have shitty old gas boilers in our homes. You make your own outdated jokes. And homes are insulated better and all the things that insulate Britain lie in motorways to talk about but then get everyone angry because they're not able to use the M25 and that means they can't pollute the air while earning not enough money to pay for the heating bills they'll get. None of Rishi Sunak's schemes are going to help with any of that much at all. The only real way to change it is renationalisation of energy, an actual attempt to run the country on green energy, or, I don't know, storming the Houses of Parliament, dismantling it as tonnes of its wood and would make an excellent start for a fire, along with those unwanted energy bills. 
There is, of course, nuclear energy, and a nuclear power would deliver far more cost-effective energy, but as a kid of the 1980s, all I can do is envision it having a meltdown and making most of the UK uninhabitable for about 50 years. But then I guess that's not too different to how things are going anyway. Perhaps that'd even be proper levelling up. If you are worried, uh, like me, some energy suppliers have payment plans, um, so do check that out. And if it's applicable to you, the Warm Homes discount is also being expanded. There is some help out there, but it's not really very much of it. And otherwise, you know, I guess it's pressuring MPs, some sort of mass nationwide endless protest. Or I guess we'll just have to get very cold for a bit. Well, I say all of us, but, you know, MPs claim their energy bills on expenses. So I expect them and their horses will be just fine. Who knows, maybe the government will get toasty enough to be less cold-hearted with their policies. Or failing that, just fucking overheat and pass out so that someone else can do it. And that's all for this week's Partly Political Broadcast podcast this week. Yeah, nice one for tuning in. And as always, do a good one and recommend this show to others if anyone you know actually listens to you. I mean, in my home, I say all sorts of shit, but it mostly goes ignored. If you do hold some sort of power in communication, maybe like Gutter Harry, am I right? Uh, do let others know that you like this show and maybe they would too. Perhaps give it a review on one of their never-ending podcast homes. And if you can afford to, please also support this show in a financial way rather than just emotional at ko-fi.com forward slash bro or by joining the patreon.com forward slash Bro. Cheers, my dears, to Acast Cat and my brother, the last skeptic. And this will be back next week when Boris Johnson is the only person left in Downing Street and an army of tanks are deployed to remove him, but he refuses to come out. And then we all realise he meant oxygen tanks because he's so knackered from all the parties he can't make it down the stairs without one. Bye! This week's show is sponsored by Rishi Sunak, which is why you only get a shortened version to fill the hour of audio you actually need, but in return you're going to have to keep making 15-minute podcasts for me to hear every single month for five years. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.